Well, I'm very excited today to be landing the plane with the final message on a short sermon series that we've been calling, Things God Does Not Know. And one of the things that God does not know is God doesn't know any other way for you to have your best life now. I just stole that from somebody. God doesn't know any other way for you to have your best life now than for you to be living for his glory. That's your best life now. That is your best life. But I know what just happened to some of you. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, big guy. How in the world, if it's all about him, how's it going to be good for me? This is a great truth, listen to me, that you've got to get your head around, that you've got to get your life around, that you've got to get your heart around. That God created us for his glory. In fact, get this. I would say it even this strongly. Until you come to grips with this great truth, that you were created for the glory of God, and not just that you would sigh and accept it through gritted teeth and resignation, but you would actually embrace it, delight in it, and pursue it, even pursue living for the glory of God. I want that. I want to live for the glory of God. Until you get there, your life will be very frustrated. You will live very frustrated with your circumstances, with the people around you, and most of all, God. God. But let's be honest. Even as I say that, that, that you were created for the glory of God, living for the glory of another. The thought of dying to ourselves and living for someone else, even God, is pretty scary, isn't it? It runs against the grain of our own flesh and human nature. Author M. Scott Peck talks about counseling a woman named Charlene who says something about Christianity that I love. Because it shows that Charlene, who's not even a Christian, understands Christianity better than some people that are sitting in churches today in America. As she was being counseled by a Christian counselor who began to help her to understand what the heart and soul of Christianity truly was all about, Charlene said this, and I quote. She said, oh, there's no room for me in that. That would be my death. I don't want to live for God. I will not. I want to live for my own sake. Well, before you look down on Charlene too strongly, let's be honest. She speaks for a lot of us, doesn't she? And regardless of what you think about her statements, you got to appreciate her honesty. And I think you should commend her biblical understanding of Christianity that is far better than some other people I won't name that have huge churches and keep pumping out books that try to convince you it's all about you. It's all about you. And in fact, when you become a Christian, it's still all about you and God's on your side and he's for you. He's for you. He lives for you. He's like some cosmic bellhop that you just ring for a parking spot and a fix on cancer and a job promotion. It's all about you. Well, I got another book that's been a bestseller long before any of those were written that tells me it is not all about us. Are we special? Are we different than the rest of creation? Are we created in the image of God? Louder. Woo! That's good news. 
But guess what? Created in the image of God means you're to reflect someone else. There's someone else that's more important. But good grief, you get to be created in the image of the most important person in the universe. Well, that's not the same thing as being the most important person in the universe. Help your spouse know that. Help your children know that. This book says it's not all about us. It's all about God. And get this. Hold on. Fasten your seatbelt. We die so that something amazing can be born in us. In fact, until you're willing to die, and I don't mean a physical death. I mean letting go. Jesus said in John 12, everyone who clings to their life and holds on to it is going to end up what? Losing it. But those who lose their life for my sake, he's not talking about being a martyr. He's talking about that thing that we have inside of us, every one of us that wants to white knuckle our life. And we're so afraid of letting go and of dying to anything. I'm so afraid it won't be about me. I'm so afraid if I don't promote my agenda, who will? Everyone who holds on to their life And everyone who loses his life or her life for my sake will find it, find it. You're looking for real life? I know some of you are. You're looking for real life. You don't even find it till you lose it. And you find it in Jesus Christ. And when you begin to live for the glory of another, when you begin to be a reflector, a mirror, and you live for the glory and the furtherance and the promotion of someone besides you, But I know that runs counter to the thinking today. So radically different. But here's the problem. That woman Charlene and so many other people, they believe that Christianity, this is the lie that's out there. And some of you are believing it right here today. This is the lie. That Christianity, surrendering to God, following Jesus Christ, is going to stifle my creativity and limit my freedom There'll be such a loss of joy. Oh, I won't get to do what I want. (gasps) Some of you are dying doing what you want. Has it led to joy? Real joy? Lasting joy? Now see, it's like salt water. You get there and the world says, here, 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 here. Drink here. This is it. And sooner than you ever hoped, you're thirsty again because it's salt water. And they said, no, 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 it's here, it's here, it's here. Never mind Tommy Hilfiger, who's heard of him? You wear this now. It's this. Drive this. Build this. Promote this. Get this. And you spend your whole life from one saltwater watering hole to the next. Convinced you just don't have the right thing or enough of the right thing. I'm your friend here today in telling you, you won't find it in this life but you can find it in Jesus Christ you can find it in Christ who said I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly he said to the woman at the well who dipped down and gave him a drink if you knew who I was you would ask me for living water and you'd never thirst again she misunderstood and thought hey great I won't have to come out here with my bucket ever again But he was talking about a greater need because he knew she was thirsting and trying to find. She'd already had five husbands and the man she was living with wasn't her husband. Don't hear me saying she's the biggest sinner in the world. She's just like us, working her way through people and relationships and stuff, still thirsty. He came to give us living water. But the world is so afraid 
Christianity is just going to stifle your creativity and your freedom and limit your joy. At the end of the movie, I, Robot. I don't see tons of movies, but I did see this. It was 10 years ago now. But at the end of the movie, I, Robot, there's a conversation that I think just is very striking. The robot named Sonny has fulfilled the objectives in his design program. But now he realizes that now that that's finished, he no longer has a purpose or a reason for existing. And so the movie concludes with this striking dialogue between the robot Sonny and the other main character that's a human being named Detective Spooner. And the robot says this, Now that I have fulfilled my purpose, I don't know what to do. And the human Spooner answers and says, I guess, I guess you'll have to find your own way like the rest of us, Sonny. That's what it means to be free. Is that what it means to be free? That's what the world thinks. True freedom is no limitations, no expectations, no obligations, no design that's been given to you. You create it yourself. You make your own way. You write your own script. And oh, you'll have such freedom and you'll have such joy. Problem? It's not working out that way, is it? Some of you know. Some of you have lived long enough to know. Others of you are so young, you think I'm stupid and you think it, it's going to work for you. Oh, it's going to work for me. Oh, you, oh, oh, oh. Come see me in a rest home with my little rocker, with my little tennis balls tucked on the end of the legs, and say, you were right. You were right. And you will have already just motored through jobs and, and hobbies and perhaps spouses and friends. And you'll say, you, you were right. Why not today? Today, believe it. Not because this guy says it. But because this book tells you, your creator, God, knows how he designed you. You will not find joy and peace and purpose living for anything other than the glory of God. And I'm not going to leave that fuzzy. You say, woo, that's real churchy. I don't know what that means. Does that mean sing a song every day? I'm going to help you before you leave. We're going to talk about what does that mean? How would I do that? Real freedom does not mean writing your own script, finding your own way, setting your own course. Well, that's what the world thinks. I'm going to make a bold statement that flies in the face of conventional human thinking. One of the best ways to ruin your life and to have a miserable existence... Bumping along from one disaster to another, to another, to another. Becoming a blame shifter and it's everybody else's fault. And things just don't work out for me. Everybody lets me down. Is to live for yourself. Clutching and clinging to your life. So afraid to die to anything. That is a recipe for misery. You get on that path, you you take that course, and the world would cheer you on, but it's a recipe for misery. Because see, this idea of preservation of self, preserving self, guarding self, keeping self, is built on the world's view of freedom, that there is no overarching purpose or meaning in life. Because if there was, we'd be obligated, we'd be obligated in some way. To conform to it and to fulfill it. And that would be limiting. And see, to the world, true freedom 
True freedom cannot be found with any limitations. They think and talk and sing any limitation that leads to any loss of freedom is a sure loss of joy. That's their formula. Any limitation on you, any stipulations, any don't do this, don't, any limitations that leads to any loss of freedom is a sure loss of joy. But that is a lie. All you have to do to find that out, all you have to do is to see that played out, folks, is think about it. Most of us in this room, I assume, are in that economic bracket and, and background or whatever that we, we don't have the privilege of having all the money we ever wanted to do everything we ever wanted or all the power and influence to, to do and be anything we want. And so there's this sense that that's why I'm not happy. Guess who some of the most unhappy people are? People who are athletes or celebrities or Hollywood stars or musicians who've made so much money and know all the right people. And they're the ones that wake up and say, oh my goodness, what now? Why do they die of drug overdoses? Why, do they, why are they alcoholics? They're checking themselves in and out of rehab. Why? They got what the world says you want. Cameras snapping at you every time you step on the sidewalk. The best cars, multiple homes, changing spouses as often as they want, never marrying anybody. Why aren't they happy? Because it's a lie. You won't find joy. And peace. I'm convinced, and I don't say this in an arrogant way. I'm convinced by the grace of God. I lay my head down in my house in Fort Wright that's paid for at $135,000. It's plush. (laughs) With more joy and peace and a sense of purpose than thousands of celebrities that choose their homes, whether it's going to be Laguna Beach or am I going to be in Paris they're still wondering, but what? And they know. They know the short shelf life on athletes and movie stars and musicians. They live with that every day, right? Today I'm it. You will not be it for long. The world just motors through people and throws them aside. Real joy is found only in knowing Jesus Christ and knowing your purpose for which God really designed you and then getting on board with that and living for the glory of God. Evolutionist Stephen Jay Gould, I believe he's dead now, so he knows what he's about to say here, was false. So if he could write again, he would write differently. But this is what he said when he was living. Evolutionist Stephen Jay Gould said, we're here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs. Just listen to that. Are you nuts? Why isn't that still happening? I don't see that, Stephen. Because comets struck the earth and wiped out dinosaurs, thereby giving mammals a chance not otherwise available. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, oh, yes, it is. If not terrifying, it is if you're a thinking person and you think about it long enough. Yeah, it's not just troubling, Stephen, it's terrifying. Is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. We must construct these answers for ourselves. Well, you know what, Stephen? 
I don't mean to sound cynical, but it doesn't look like men and women are doing such a great job constructing these answers for ourselves, right? It doesn't look like giving people more and more freedom, carte blanche, there is no God, do what you want, it's all about you, grab all the gusto, set your own course, write your own script, go for it, be all you want to be. Where are all the happy people? Even here in America, where you're not scrapping for your next meal, you're not wondering if you're going to have clean drinking water. You, you have hot water. Most of us AC and multiple cars and cell phones. We're some of the most unhappy people in the world. Somehow this has not led to liberation and exhilaration, Stephen. So many college students today, I read this the other day, so many college students today are arriving at campuses on antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs that it's driving up the cost of tuition. It's spiking and skyrocketing the cost of tuition as campuses still try to provide free counseling that they've always provided. But now so many freshmen are coming through the front doors so screwed up, so confused, so depressed, so anxious, so troubled. And yet these are kids that have been given the most, hey, Have sex as often as you want. Do whatever you want. Drink, carry on. Find it wherever you can find it. Why aren't they the happiest kids? Because these things won't bring you joy. Drug and alcohol abuse are at an all-time high. And I know you think, oh, you just yawn and think, whatever, Brad. That's always been bad. I know. But here's what's startling Yeah, all-time high, and the statistics are showing that the age of the kids that are struggling is being pushed down lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. 13-year-olds that are abusing alcohol and drugs. Middle schools are having the problems that only high schools used to have. Why? I believe it's because when you tell a kid long enough... You really have no purpose, meaning. There's nothing special about you. You're no different than a pig or a monkey or a dog or a cat. Go make something of yourself. Be all you want to be. Oh, oh, wow. I feel so liberated and exhilarated. And then then give a curriculum that just pumps you up and help their self-esteem. You are great. You are great. You are great. You're no different than dirt, but you're great. You're great. Somehow they're smart enough that they've heard through that. All the self-esteem classes have not helped kids do better because people need to know why we're here and that I'm created in the image of God and I'm an image bearer and he knows me. He created me with a purpose. It's not just random and make life whatever you want it to be. That will not satisfy. So today in this one message... I hope to reorient you so that you can see life the way you need to see it. Because until you start to see life the way you need to see it, you'll never live it the way you're supposed to live it. Okay? If you don't even see it the way God meant for you to see life, you'll never live it the way he meant for you to live it. And so, as we get started... Yeah, that was the introduction. So as we get started, I know that I can't change your circumstances. I can't change the people around you. And we're certainly not going to change God here today. But I do hope for one thing in the 30 minutes, 29 minutes that's left. I hope that I could change by God's grace and with his word how you think, what you live for, and why. How you think, what you live for, and why. So let's jump in. 
Jump in with me. And first, as we get started, I want you to think with me about this word glorify. If we're going to say you were designed to glorify God, well, let's break it down and say, that's a churchy word. I don't even know what that means. Not a word you're going to hear tomorrow at the gym or at work or in the neighborhood likely, but it's a word that gets thrown around inside churches and sung. And what does it mean? Even if I ask you, if you're here in our own church, give me a good definition of what would it mean for you to glorify God? All right? We're supposed to glorify God. Does that mean sing a song? Does that mean give an offering? Does it mean teach children's class? What does it mean to glorify God? Could you give me a definition? And if you can't define it, what are the chances that you're living it? So let's do a little Glory 101, like Psych 101 for the freshmen. Glory 101, basics. What are we talking about when we talk about the glory of God? You can define the glory of God as the beauty of God unveiled. It's, it's the external elegance of his internal excellencies made public. It's God and his beauty and his wonder gone public. Gone public. So think with me a minute. Where does God most reveal and, and disclose and show us his glory? Where does God go public? Creation. All right? Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the what? Say it again. The glory of God. And the earth shows forth his handiwork. Snow-capped mountains, Grand Canyon, crashing oceans, the wonders of the tropic and Amazon, all the different birds, all the insects, the plethora of animals, music, mathematics, astronomy, biology, chemistry, music, art, people. Little babies, all of this causes you to sense, oh my goodness, there must be a God. There must be a God. There must be a God. I mean, as much as the world would say we're fools for believing there's a God that did this, I I would push back and say, it's a stretch to believe that all this happened randomly from an explosion. I'm sorry. The last paper plant that exploded didn't produce the Declaration of Independence. Whoa, look at that. From that whole mess, look at the wonder there. You know, the last Lockheed Martin jet airplane factory that blew up didn't land with, you know, three 747s ready to go. Look what happened through that. And yet we're being led to believe order and intelligence and all this design came out of chaos and exploded. no. The human heart knows there's a God. The heavens, that's why you're made to feel small. That's why you're just struck with awe. You don't have to be a Christian to love creation. Why do we love creation? Because there's a God of creation who spoke it into being. And when you're moved by creation, it's like an hors d'oeuvre or a foretaste or a glimpse or a snapshot of something you actually want and, and desire even more. You just don't know it. The God behind creation. This is just a little of who he is and what he can do. But listen, I'll ask my question again. Creation is not where God displays his glory most fully. Where do you see the the glory of God most fully revealed? I heard it. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Oh, creation leaves you stunned and in awe and shrunk down. But folks, we still wouldn't know what he's like. Is he good? Does he think about me? 
Would he draw near to me? Does he care about me? Have any plans for me? How? You would never c- draw conclusions from creation on that. You'd still just be one big question mark about God. You'd know there is a God, but you still wonder, how do I relate to him? Folks, Jesus Christ is where God most fully displays his glory, that God took on flesh so that you'd know what he's like. You'd know what he'd say. What would he do? Let me show you in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn with me and I hope you have a Bible. To 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And look at it with me. Where the glory of God is most fully displayed goes public. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled... You know, even if the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God sent his son to die for us, pay for our sins, be laid in the grave, rise again, and you can have forgiveness and you can have a relationship with God through Christ. That's what that word gospel means. That's shorthand for all that. Even if our gospel is veiled, right? There's some people that just don't see it, don't get it, don't want to see it. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservant, for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now he's reaching back and talking about creation. This same God who spoke light into darkness. For the God who, who, who created light out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? Where's the glory of God most revealed? In the face of Jesus Christ. You say, but Brad, I can't see Jesus Christ either. He's not here anymore. Thanks for pointing that out. Because it allows me to tell you one more millionth time why you got to read your Bible. You want to see Christ? You want to know Christ? You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read Matthew, Mark, four eyewitnesses. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who saw Christ, who watched Christ, who listened to Christ. And say, Lord, reveal, reveal your son to me. I want to know you, God. Show me who you are through your son, Jesus Christ. So to glorify God means to live in such a way that you promote and put on display and help people form a good opinion about him. That's what it means to glorify God with your life. You promote and put on display and you live in such a way it causes people to form a good opinion about God, not you. Because the two words used in the Bible for glory in the Old Testament that was written in Hebrew, it's kabod. That means weighty. God is important. He's worthy. He's weighty. There's substance to him. He's worth giving your life to. There's a lot there to think through, and you'll never exhaust all of it. Kabod. The New Testament word that's used is doxa, from which we get our word doxology, and it means fame. So weighty fame, 
weighty fame. So to glorify God is to spread the fame of God and to cause people to sense and understand the weightiness and the worthiness and the importance of God. So let's answer the question then. How can you glorify God with your life? How could you showcase God? How could you live in such a way that you cause people to form a good opinion of God and cause people to sense the kabod and the doxa of God, the weightiness and the fame of God? Because of time, I cannot give you an exhaustive list, but I hope I'll just whet your appetite with two ways. Two ways. Number one, you can glorify God with your life by living in such a way that people are struck by you. They might be struck by you initially, but they don't stay focused on you. So you live in such a way that it gets people's attention. You're different. The way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband, the way you handle singleness, the way you do your job, everything about you. They're like, why don't you slander? Why don't you gossip? Why don't you run down the boss? Why don't you badmouth your spouse? Why, why don't you do, why do you forgive? Why don't you get bitter? Why don't you have a grudge? And I hope some of you are feeling really bad because you say, I got all that. Well, get over all that in a hurry because we are supposed to be different. A peculiar people set apart, all right? Did I say perfect? No. But folks, you can fall short of perfect and still, not, and still choose to not be bitter and not slander and not be the one that comes in late and leaves early and not be the one that does just enough to get by. You live your life in such a way that people form a, a good opinion of God. They might, they might have got, you got their attention initially by you, but they look past you to some, something else. They, here's the way I would put it to you. Live in such a way that people begin to ask for the why behind the what. Live in such a way that people begin to ask for the why behind the what. You walked back into Myers and gave the money back even though they overcharged you. You called the bank and said, uh, that $500 that's been in my account, that's not mine. But you give the why behind the what? The why behind the what? You ought to be living in such a way, 1 Peter 3.15 says, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Well, first, you've got to have some hope. Hello. Whole other messages I could give you on that one. You're living with some hope that this job is not my whole life. This marriage is not my whole life. These kids are not my whole life. My health is not my whole life. So I've still got hope. And people say, Why? Other people don't act this way when they face what you're facing. You give an answer. You give a reason for the hope that is in. They ask for the why behind the what. But we should be living differently, peculiarly. They might be struck by you initially, but they don't stay focused on you. It's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 2. If you're still in 2 Corinthians 4, go left. Two chapters back. 2 Corinthians 2, but thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ Jesus. And, oh, look what he does. And manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place. Folks, there's no hope that we're going to set up a church on Ryle High School's campus. There's no hope that we're going to set up a church in Fifth Third Bank. Guess what? Here's the hope. Christians who know Jesus and have the sweet aroma of Jesus are going into all those places. And when you get your head around and your life around this, that I live for the glory of God. I live for the glory of God. I'm on this campus for the glory of God. I'm in this job for the glory of God. I'm in this neighborhood for the glory of God. Manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. 
I'm wearing Aeropostale 87. That's my current favorite. Remember that for Pastor Appreciation Month. (laughs) But regardless of what anybody else is wearing here today, we all, if you say you're a Christian, ought to be wearing the same cologne, the same perfume. Ugh, de Christ. Jesus Christ. Not Chanel number five, Jesus number one. Not very sexy, very Jesus. Mm, That's very Jesus. Right? There's an aroma. And that only happens when when you make different choices, when you stay and get the job done right. So listen to me. Make sure you don't make a mistake here. This is not the Sunday that I want everyone to email me and say, I'm all in, big guy. I want to live for the glory of God. Where's my place on staff? What country do you want to send me to? I'm quitting my job. I'm being a missionary, youth pastor, nun, priest. Please don't. Stay where you are and begin to wake up and head there thinking differently, understanding. And, and make sure you don't make a mistake. To be a Christian that lives for the glory of God does not mean to waste your employer's time by being on the internet looking at Christian blogs and listening to Christian sermons and constantly sermonizing and preaching on your job when you ought to be working. You be the best whatever you are. You be the best financial planner that is honest and fair. You be the best car mechanic. You be the best public school teacher that loves learning and understands there's a God behind mathematics. That's why it makes sense. And there's a God of history. That's why it's exciting. You be the best plumber. You do it right the first time if it's not right when they call you back you get it right with a smile on your face be the best God is glorified when you do work well to the glory of God we live in a day where the attitude is just work only as needed and get out of it as quick as you can and living for the weekend living for the weekend I know the weekend can be a little more fun except for my job But it shouldn't be that Christians are the same way, just dragging around there. They hate it as much as everybody else hates it. And you get to be the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ with whatever you are doing it. Be. In my office, hope this doesn't shock you, I have talked more than one young man out of quitting his business, selling his business, and he wanted to be a campus pastor for us. And I find out he's a brilliant young man that has created something. I said, stay in your business. He got stirred and excited about living for the glory of God. And he thought, I need to get out of this because I'm just selling widgets or whatever. Sell the best widgets to the glory of God. And God needs his people to make money and not spend it all on themselves. And give to missions and help someone with a car payment. And as you employ a team of people, be a good employer and be the sweeter home and knowledge. We need Christians to have businesses and do jobs to the glory of God. The sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ in what did it say? How many places? Every place. We need you in law. We need you in medicine. We need you in mechanics. We need you in mathematics. We need you in the classroom. We need physical trainers. We need nutritionists. We need nurses. We need Christians who wake up understanding this is my job, but it's not my life. And I will do it the very best as unto God. That's why 1 Corinthians 10.31 says what it says. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And what does it mean to do it to the glory of God? You do it in such a way that as people watch you, they form a good opinion of God, God, God.
God. They might be struck by you, but they don't stay focused on you. And they begin to look for the why behind the what? The why behind the why are you this way? Why do you do these things? Let me give you another illustration that I hope will help you. Understand what I'm saying. How many of you have ever heard of any of these people? Jack Tinker and Partners. Doyle Dane Bernbach. BBDO. Foot Cone Belding. That's what I thought. It's not like I just said Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, Obama. These are not names you'd know, right? But what if I told you that these people are thrilled that you do not know them? Because they exist to make a great name for someone else. And to promote someone else. And to cause you to form a good opinion of someone else. What if I said to you, oh, okay, how about this? You might not recognize their names, but do you recognize who they've promoted and who they've made much of? How about this? Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. That's the work of Jack, Tinker, and Partners for Alka-Seltzer back in 1976. What about We Try Harder? It's the slogan that Doyle, Dane, and Birnbach created for a relatively unheard of rental car company in 1962 and it caused them to triple their market share in just four years. And they're still riding that thing. We try harder. What about when you care enough to send the very best? That was created by Foot Cone Belding in 1934 for Hallmark. And so as Christians, we could learn a lesson from these companies, could we not? Just like these companies exist to promote the name of their client. Not that you'd remember them, but you'd remember the client. We exist. Do a good job. But do it in such a way that they, they look past you and they're saying, who does things like this? What, why do you do this? And it promotes the name, the fame, the good opinion of God. Let me say something very bold. It doesn't matter whether an employer hates Christianity and is an atheist. After they hired one Christian, they ought to be so pleased with the way they work, they'd want more Christians. Even if they had to put up with gospel tracts in the bathroom on the back of the toilet. Even if they had to hear through your headphone on your lunch hour. I think that's Christian music playing. They would be so appreciative and drawn to... I read an article that said in China that's exactly what's happening. Employers want Christians because everybody else lies, steals, cheats, and does the worst work they can. We know that because we're buying their products. (laughs) Right? They fall apart. Made in China. Oh, crap. (laughs) But they're starting to hire Christians, so things could get better. The, The Employers are saying, go find Christians. We're killing them, but go find them. Before we kill them, let them work in your business. Because, man, they will work differently. Is that the way it is here in America? Or are Christians just like everybody else? I'm just putting up with this job. It shouldn't be that way. Live to the glory of God. Do what you do to the glory of God. Let me give you a second way, quick. That you can live for the glory of God with your life. You can live for the glory of God with your life by showing people that you are most satisfied in God. That's where you go for your deepest satisfaction. 
Don't hear me saying you got to be ascetic. Like, I'm not into football. I'm not into anything in life. I'm not into art. I'm not into music. That would just be wrong. The world. I got to run from the world. Folks, I love football. I think you know that. I love good food. I love friends. I love music. I love all kinds of things. But it ought to be. That's not, and by God's grace, I think it's true. That's not where I go for my deepest satisfaction. Even my marriage, I love my wife dearly. It's better than I ever thought it could be. But you know what? One of the reasons it's as good as it is, I'm not looking to Vicky for my deepest satisfaction. If you're in a relationship and you're not being satisfied in God, you will put such a crushing weight of expectation on those closest to you or that job or whatever it is, it can't handle it. You were designed to live for the glory of God and to get your deepest satisfaction in God. In God. In God. In other words, you need to be living out Psalm 34 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. You got to get to know Him. Some of you don't know Him. Taste and see that the Lord is is good. You become the poster child for Psalm 36.8 that says they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. So much the world says, hey, it's, it's this, it's this, it's this. There's such a short shelf life on this in the world and it just leaves you thirstier than you were before. You give them drink from the rivers of your pleasure. Here's what I'm trying to press on you with this point here. Whatever you yearn for, what is it like, oh, I really want that. Whatever you yearn for and find your deepest satisfaction in is what you glorify. So what are you glorifying in your life? Don't hear me saying you can't enjoy a marriage, enjoy my kids, enjoy my job, enjoy sports, enjoy. But I'm asking you, what is it you really and find your deepest satisfaction in. That is what you glorify. That's what you glorify. I've used this illustration before, but I cannot think of a better one. So new people, it'll be new to you. Old people are like, oh, he's old. He can't think of new stuff. Here's a can of Diet Mountain Dew. The drink of choice of my sweet baby love, Vicky. And she wants it with crushed ice, not any crushed ice, a certain crushed ice from Thornton's that they will sell to you. But I'll leave that alone. <laughs> Our agreement is she doesn't harass me about my coffee beans, my grinder, my special coffee maker. I don't. So we leave each other's vices alone. I try not to remind her as a woman that this leaches calcium out of your bones. You are headed. Carbonated drinks, terrible. Coffee, wonderful. <laughs> so I don't go there. Unless it's public. <laughs> and she's not in the room. It's the only time I go there. But what have I said to you? Oh, I'm longing for this. I'm sweating. I'm not making this up. I'm parched. I think this would satisfy me. Well, that's one thing. But what if I then grab the frosty mug and do this? <laughs> and I do this. Wow. (laughs) 
talking back. <laughs> what did I just do? I glorified. So I expect a check in the mail from this company. I glorified this Mountain Dew because I demonstrated publicly that this satisfies me. How much of your life do you live in such a way that you demonstrate to people publicly that you find your deepest satisfaction in God? Whatever you yearn for and are most deeply satisfied in is what you glorify. And that's why John Piper, I think, said it so well when he said, God is most glorified in us. So this whole message is about you were designed to glorify God. How would you do that? He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So get this. If I've stirred you, and I hope I have, you can't even begin to glorify God until you're satisfied in God. And some of you don't even know him. You need to become a Christian. That's step one. But some of you are Christians, and either you've gotten off track, you're living in a coma, you're not reading your Bible. I don't know what has happened to you, but I want this to be a wake-up call like smelling salts. Like, whoa, come back, come back, come back. You're living like the rest of the world, chasing the same things, drinking the salt water with your little... Christian ball cap, complaining and thinking your only job now is you have God to pray to make you happier. Well, you go to the wrong stuff. God won't help you be satisfied in the wrong stuff. But he will satisfy you deeply. Come to him. Come to him. Get to know him. Paul Tripp says, we were never wired to live for the glories of what is seen. At best, these shadow glories were meant to point us to the one and only glory really worth living for, the glory of the Lord. Now listen to this. There is always a terrible price to pay for this great replacement. Anything that you try to replace and put in place of God, a terrible price. Terrible price to be paid. It destroys relationships. It distorts culture. It scars people. And it finally leads to death. The oxygen of the glory of God that we were meant to breathe. The oxygen of the glory of God that we were meant to breathe cannot be found any other place. Don't hear me saying we all need to flee to a cave, wear something scratchy, and deny ourselves. He says in 1 Timothy, he's given us all things richly to enjoy. Enjoy it, but don't. Try to make it your life or your world. Anything else in this life that takes the place of God, number one, that you're living for his glory, you'll pay a terrible price. Terrible price. When we take in the deoxygenated gases of the creation, our lungs collapse and our hearts atrophy. The problem is not that the physical things are evil in themselves. The problem is when they take God's place in your heart. Desire for a good thing, marriage, kids, work that fulfills me, hobbies, health, creation, hiking, whatever. Desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. Nothing else should rule your heart but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ. 
What is it that rules your heart today? What is it you really live for? What is it you really yearn for and long for? Where do you find your deepest satisfaction? So there's two groups of people I'm talking to. Some of you, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I am so glad you're here. Because for you, I would love for you to turn off the cacophony of the world and all the confusion and all the lies. And you've just heard, not a perfect sermon, not the best message necessarily, but I've tried to give you the truth of why you exist. Oh my goodness, this is good news. If you haven't understood this, see, it doesn't matter if you live in opposition to or ignorance of the glory of God. You suffer consequences either way. So some of you already knew what I was talking about and you don't want it. You're like, I've heard this before. That would be miserable. I would lose my freedom, my, okay. All right, just keep going. But here's your chance. If you can either live in opposition to it, you know it, I don't want it, or ignorance of it. But now today, nobody can say, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. Now you know. This is why you exist The glory of God is the oxygen that you were designed to thrive on. Do you know God? I'm not asking you, are you religious? You showed up at church, thank you, and you picked a good one. But do you know God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Do you know Christ? Have you surrendered your life and not said, oh, I believe Jesus is a good teacher. He was a great guy. Have you said, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and give me purpose and meaning and a reason for living. Guide me, shepherd me, comfort me, convict me, help me. You could have that today. Today, right where you sit. Just pray a simple prayer and say, oh God, I need you. Through your son, Jesus Christ, I want to know you. I want to know what that sweaty man was talking about. I want to know you. Show your son to me. Reveal your son to me. Come into my life. Give me that purpose and meaning and joy. But if you're a Christian here today and you've just gotten sidetracked, it's all about the money, it's all about your job, it's all about health and fitness, it's all about your kids, it's all about your marriage. I don't know what maybe it's become all about. Throw on the brakes. I mean, grab the emergency brake. And I want you to take some time this week and get along with the Lord. And say, help me get back on track. And start living on the oxygen for which I was designed to live for your glory. For your glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us not just with eternal life one day, someday. But life right now. Right now. Right now. You change our lives now. When we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we start living, thinking different, with a different reason why we do what we do. Thank you for the joy. Thank you for the peace. Thank you for the purpose. Lord, come and change lives right here. Change hearts right here and thinking right here. By your grace and for your glory. Rescue us from us. Rescue us from us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.